Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hello, welcome back to Out of Line. This is Annie Friday, and I am joined today by LaToya Nelson. Hi, LaToya. Hi, so glad to be back here. Yay, LaToya is a fairly frequent guest, but if you don't know, LaToya is also found under the handle on Instagram, raising underscore underscore resilience. Um, LaToya has recently founded a um, program for people looking for alternatives to conventional education, um, working with families who are homeschooling in community with each other. And that is after leaving behind um, just last year, a special education classroom in a public school setting. So LaToya and I have been just kind of chatting. We have a lot to talk about, but we just struck a nerve a little bit. And it's kind of, um, I mean, it's a multi-level issue, but one part of it is um, how we value children and the work that belongs to families versus the work that belongs to schools in those children's lives. Um, and I just want to say, you know, we're now, um, this will come out post holidays. We're probably all still in recovery mode. Um, and this is a post from mid December that LaToya put up on her account, raising resilience. The world is beyond exhausting right now. My heart is so heavy because if we valued children, the way we valued property and proving points, some of these issues wouldn't be occurring. And I think um, that speaks volumes because I, I think for so many of us right now, our hearts are really heavy with all that's going on in the world, but like center at it, of it all is is our valuing of children and their lives and, and what goes on in their lives. Um, and one of the things that keeps coming up with that is how educators value children and family. And when children aren't performing quote unquote in schools who gets the blame and like I feel like I keep seeing posts about like middle schoolers high schoolers not being able to read and like whose fault is it and how do the families not like work on this at home and you just brought up a really good point as we were kind of chatting about time and families and capitalism and so I hit record so we could share it with everybody <laughs> What are some of your initial thoughts on this topic, LaToya? My brain gets like so chaotic when I hear people talking about that because it's infuriating one, you know, and I know why a lot of educators are looking to place blame because there's someone writing them and there's someone writing the person who's writing them. And at the center of all that is money. Um, and, you know, our education system doesn't center children. It centers numbers and numbers equal money. And so essentially they are not valued in the way that they should be. You know, there's a motive to, you know, kind of hone in on academics and their cog cognitive development, so to speak, but there's no nurturing of the spirit and no nurturing of the whole child. And um, 
everyone gets so overwhelmed. So it's very easy to start, you know, I'm overwhelmed. Someone's writing me. So let me find a place to kind of center that blame. So whether it's parents blaming the teachers or teachers blaming the parents and then eventually blaming the children who are at the center of all this, everyone's seeking to kind of point a finger. But the reality is, is the only person or people suffering are the children and realistically if a child is spending I mean I don't want to do any work at the end of the day I don't I've spent eight plus hours working that doesn't include your time getting ready for the day that doesn't include your time traveling for the day mm-hmm. um no everyone's 24 hours is not the same you know you you start getting into urban versus suburban children who ride school buses versus children who ride city buses versus children who walk um, versus parents who work salary jobs versus parents who work hourly jobs. And there's so much, it's so multifaceted and it's so much behind such a blanket statement. So to say that parents are the first teacher. Yes, we are our first, our children's first teacher, but the reality is we have degrees. Someone, I went to school and I was trained and someone trained me and said, Hey, you know, you've, you're good enough at this. You've taken these exams. You're good enough at this, that you should be able to take that knowledge and impart it Mm -hmm. to someone else. And then someone sending their child to me, trusting you know, that I am going to not only educate their student, but they're trusting me with them to keep them safe. And when I am blasting them on the internet, you know, degrading them, children are all over social media. Mm -hmm. They are the primary consumers of this. And so, you know, there's a lot of things. Children are so disrespectful. Well, look who their models are. (laughs) These are their educators who are sitting on TikTok inside of their classrooms, nonetheless, where they are supposed to love and protect and educate children, shouting about how they can't read and they can't write. Well, what are you doing all day? (laughs) You know, if we're pointing fingers, if I'm spending eight hours with you, what are you doing all day? I'm here for eight hours. But again, we have to be careful about blanket statements because me making that statement, they're going to go, well, I got to do this and this and this. Okay. Well, as a parent, they have to do this and this and this too. So instead of pointing fingers, how can we come together to dismantle these systems that are saying that children have to be at this place at this time? Mm -hmm. You know, Everyone learns to read and write at a different pace. That's the reality. You're going to have three and four-year-olds who might be ready to read, and you might have a seven-year-old who's not quite there yet. But this idea of this race that you have to read and write a certain way by a certain time um, is just forming so many just unrealistic expectations for children and it's creating a sense of urgency and stress that doesn't need to exist because the goal should be able to create should be to create functioning adults adults who can go out into the world and not just take care of themselves but give themselves in a way that creates sustainability for all we should be able to be productive in that way but it's just so multifaceted when i think you know I'm a parent and I might have a child who's struggling. I don't know why it it could be a disability. It could be multiple things. And to see 
my child's teacher, someone I'm sending my child to every day just to know you feel that strongly, strong enough to go onto the internet and post about them. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. and it's gut-wrenching and it's the reason why we are where we are right now. Yeah. And I think everyone's just looking to point a finger, but it is so complex. It's so complex and it 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 is such a um, detriment to everyone when we simplify it. And so mm-hmm. I think like when I see people in the comment section just piling up like, oh, it's on the parents. Oh, it's on the parents. You know, and or um, Heather Burnt Santee on the Early Childhood Nerd podcast has, has said before in many episodes, like we love to say like something must be going on at home, right? Like we love, it's easy as an educator to blame home. And, and maybe that is part of it, but like, can't we all work together as a team for this child's success? And I think in particular, the reading thing is such a trigger for so many educators um, because you can't live if you can't read. And so we do oh. need people to read. And so, you know, Nikolai Passar has been on our, our podcast before and um, I get her newsletter. I highly recommend anybody who's just kind of challenging their notions of school um, to do the same. Nikolai talks about home as the epicenter for learning, healing, and belonging. This week's newsletter was all about um, how she's working currently with a high school student who who came to her not reading, um, came via an administrator at his high school. Um, and what like her first like lesson with him really was to like help him understand it's not about reading isn't just for school. It's for him. It's to build his independence, to build his confidence, um, to, you know, like be able to assert himself as a person when he is othered because he's been othered so, so often in his life as a non-reader. Um, so there's that issue that, that, that idea that like, if we take the the school, it's not about can you achieve, can you get through this standardized test? Can you, um, you know, show us that you've m- made these metrics? Like you said, like we reduce it to numbers. Like we want to care enough about these humans in our world who we are being paid to educate Absolutely. to say like reading is an essential part of their life. And we care about them as a human. So we want them to read, to be able to function in life, not just to be able to perform the scores. Exactly. And I think that's where I get so frustrated because it's so short-sighted and it's thinking about right now and this moment and these numbers and this and this and this, but it's not thinking of the long-term impacts. And I just think about historically, um, I know um, dropping knowledge with Heidi on Instagram. She talks a lot about how literacy um, is a human rights issue, um, mm-hmm. and especially for um, low-income and minority children. And I use those words loosely because we all know it's just labels, <laughs> but um, it's just such a human rights issue. And I just think about historically not being provided access um to the right to read. And I think when children can understand some of those things, then their willingness to learn things can be different. Mm. But I think a lot of the blockage with some of the experiences they're experiencing in school keeps them from 
being able to process. There's so much that happens in a day. There's Mm. a million transitions. There's a million fires put out. There's bright lights. There's all kinds of things going on all day long. And so I don't think that everyone's taking all of that into consideration when they're talking about they can't read mm-hmm. and just if there is something going on at home or if there is something that's going on at school that on top of you know other things can prevent those things and I just I I get why you know educators want to point a finger because no one wants to feel like they're to blame right. no one wants to feel that and I think sometimes when I counteract, I don't like to argue in comments. So I, I've been trying <laughs> to keep myself as stress-free as possible, which is why I haven't posted as much as usual. Cause I'm like, you know what? I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I think if people understood that parents are not trying to escape being accountable, if I'm working, everything is inflated right now. Mm-hmm. Everything milk, gas, housing is astronomical. If I am working an hourly job, if I have to catch a bus, a public bus or walk Mm -hmm. to that hourly job, and then I've got children at home and I've got to get up and do it all over again. Would I love to read to my baby? Probably. Absolutely. Do I have the time necessarily? Probably not. If I don't pay these bills, what happens? Mm -hmm. Then you're telling me I shouldn't, if I don't pay the bills, if my children aren't clothed the right way, if they're not being fed the right things, it's a catch 22. They'll be blamed either way. You know, if they're staying up late because they're not getting it. And you got to get bedtime. You got to get the right amount of hours in. So you really have like a few hours at home in the evening. So it's just going to go on and on and on. And everything's just going to pile up regardless and it's like they can't win. It, they it, can't win. And it's like, there's like an, it's almost like the list of assumptions is near endless yeah. when you're talking about these things. Like, so you're assuming that there's a parent in the home in the evenings. You're assuming yep. that the, you know, that there's time, that there's the education level, that there's, you know, the comfort, all the things that you've already mentioned have to be there for for a parent to be able to sit down in connection with their kids and, work on homework or, or snuggle up and read together. And like you made the point earlier, as educators, we've gone through a system of education to get to this point where somebody has said, you're now qualified to work with young people and teach them how to read. Parents don't have that. They can, and they can very easily with people like Nikolai who can give them the tools um, and doing things to make it really accessible because it's not that hard. There's not an, an infinite amount of rules in the English language. There's a lot more than maybe other languages, but you can figure it out and you can work with your kids on it. But mm-hmm. should you have to when your kids are spending 40 hours a week in school? And how how long can you kick the can down the road? Like, so mm-hmm. one teacher passes them, the next teacher passes them. Like, how do you get to eighth grade not being able to read? And, and no one said anything. You know, if I'm trusting you, you allow my child to go on and on and on. You didn't use your knowledge or your resources to say, hey, I think this is an issue. I think we need to look into this. I think we need to find things. And then again, even with resources, we're assuming they can afford a tutor. 
Mm-hmm. We're seeing that they have accessibility transportation wise for a tutor. And there's just so many nuances. And even when schools offer tutoring, not every school has resources that can bust after school for tutoring. So if the child is normally a bus rider and they stay late, they may may not be able to get, there's just so many nuances. And honestly, it all boils down to capitalism. There's no freedom in time. You know, when people think of freedom, a lot of people think of financial freedom, but there's a privilege of time Mm -hmm. that a lot of people may not have. It's a privilege to have the time to be able to sit down and to do those things. You know, it is a full-time job to run your home. It Mm -hmm. is to make sure you have clean laundry, to make sure that your house is tidy, to make sure that there are meals on the table, to make sure that you have groceries in your home and toiletries, to make sure that there's clean linen, to make sure that doctor's appointments are made, that there's entertainment opportunities. That is a full-time job. And then to work full-time, to have to travel full-time. And now you're saying to me, you suck because (laughs) you didn't make sure that your child was reading enough. You should be reading X, Y, Z amount of time at home. But I just spent literally probably a hundred hours of my week doing all the other things Mm -hmm. as well, you know, and Again, I'm not saying that parents shouldn't read with their children. I'm not saying that parents shouldn't be accountable, but I'm saying if you have gone to school, you have passed the test, you are now deemed the expert Mm -hmm. person in this field. You are knowledgeable. When you see it, say something. Yep. Say something, do something. Don't get on TikTok and tell parents they suck. And don't mention the children at, at, at the root of all of that to say they're in the eighth grade and they have on Jordans. What does Jordan have to do with reading? You I think know? I saw that post. <laughs> I get so, they can send their kids to school with Jordans, but they can't read. They can send their kids to school with this, but they don't have a pencil. All of those things are so nuanced and no one's looking at the larger picture, you know, yeah. it's just looking to point a finger. Well, and we're here to support those humans in our lives and mm-hmm. we need to do it in connection with each other. And if we are frustrated that parents are, you know, quote unquote, dropping the ball, what's the solution? What are we going to teach them since we are the experts? How are we going to bring them in on this and have like collaborative processes to make sure that kids are getting what they need. And, and also, like you said, like coming away from the curriculum to connect with the human first and foremost, and then together you figure out if there's a specific block to reading, is it, you know, is it something like sensory, like you mentioned all the things that happen in a school, all the lights, all the noises, is it, is it something that needs to be addressed neurologically? Is it something that just, you know, they're hungry or like, is their butt itchy? You know, Kristen Peterson will talk about that. Um, <laughs> also like all those things you just listed, you're, we're, we're here, we are sitting two 
pretty tired educators in the middle of December. <laughs> like I like got a little stressed. So sorry to any listeners who are like, oh my gosh, those are like, it is hard to run a household. And that's also assuming you're a full functioning adult. Like mm-hmm. so many adults have high levels of trauma that they've experienced that they ha- haven't been able to process. Or, you know, like I, I've mentioned before on this show, like when Michigan had a law for a, a short amount of time, it didn't last read by grade three or you were automatically retained. And we were in a school that had high levels of recent immigrant families or refugee families who were like, we don't even know where the local library is. And you're telling us it's our job to make sure our kids are reading and not giving us that information first, like connect us to our community, our resources, like even if it's an Instagram account, direct us to an Instagram account that's going to teach us what we need to know about supporting our kids learning how to read or or whatever it is, if it's math, if it's algebra, like supporting your kids education isn't something that just comes naturally to many parents it's not innate it's just like you have to teach that skill they did not there's no handbook to be a parent and they did not go to school to teach they didn't Mm -hmm. that's the reality that's why different professions exist that may not be what their strength is and that is okay well and that's the promise that's what's that's what set our country apart for so long like we promised that you could get a public education in this country a quality one at that we promised a quality equitable education and that is not what is well, and I also think we don't even as parents or caregivers or even community members non-parent community members I don't think we always know what's behind the scenes right like you said like teachers often have somebody riding them who has somebody riding them So, and it all comes back to dollars usually if you follow the trail long enough. And one of the things um, I didn't know initially until a few years ago, like why they stopped holding kids back in in grades was because it affected the amount of dollars they got because it didn't look good on their school. And so then you get fewer dollars per student. Like, so it affects your bottom line, your budget. And, And again, like, that's not their fault. That's the policy. And that's not okay. But it does encourage teachers to just push them along, make it be somebody else's problem for tomorrow to figure out. And that just sucks. And again, who suffers, you know, all the venting, all those things, who suffers the bickering, the back and forth at the root of it is a child who still can't read um, and to, you know, just two groups of people who are going back and forth about it. And just when I think of reading, I just think of the freedom that it brings you to be able to read mm-hmm. what you need to read. It's not about academics at all. It's the freedom, the quality of life that you get from being able to know how to read. And so that's how I even frame it to the kids, you know, when we're working on reading and it doesn't have to look like anything formal, you know, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of ways that it can occur. And I tell them, you know, once you read, you have the freedom for so many other things because reading is the foundation for every other thing that you may be interested in, you know. And it comes down to what you said in your post, like we, we have to value children beyond dollars. We have to really like appreciate children for where they are, who they are, not who they're going to be, where they're going to be, but where they are in this moment. And what's our role with that? Because they're reliant on us to help them get their needs met. And so if you're an educator, who's so quick to just kind of 
be frustrated with the kids and then blame the parents. Why? Why are you in education? Like that, that's to me where I'm just like, there are lots of other professions out there where you don't need to interface with families. Like there's no way to do this work without parents and caregivers. Like you need to be on the same side and that's rooting for the kid, showing that child how much you value them and their personhood. Yep. And so that it's just, you have to value their families too. Mm-hmm. They can feel when people make statements and I've heard tons of teachers make statements. Well, y'all parents or your parents should be, they can feel that mm-hmm. when you don't value their families, when you don't value their community, mm-hmm. when you don't value them, why would I ever want to learn anything from you when all you do was look down on me? You look down on me. You look down on my family. You look down on my neighborhood you look down on everything about me. How can I even begin to receive anything from you when you have that sort of mindset? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't want anything from you at that point. And so I would rather shut down, you know, even if it is meaningful, meaningful for me to learn from you. I can't, if you feel that strongly um, about who I am and who I come from and where I come from. Yeah, you can so easily say those things about my mom. Like, yeah, like, what do you think about me? (laughs) So, well, and I guess, like, you know, to try and keep it, I love, I love thinking of solutions and being solution mindset based and curious and uh, thinking about the solutions here. Like, I think that's why for me and and each person's going to play a different role in this, right? But like, this is a community game. This isn't on teachers. This isn't on families. This is on all of us. And what is our role in it? And like, so if you've chosen to left this, leave the system, like you and I have, there are still ways that we can advocate or support or build new opportunities. Like sometimes I feel guilty, like, oh, I can't believe I left the public schools behind or whatever, but I'm like, wait, but I'm actually part of building what I think is better and stronger. And mm-hmm. and that's the new, that's going to be the new system um, or the new just way to ensure people are seen and educated. I, I felt that deeply because I felt guilty. You know, that was my first thought was like, I'm, how is this going to be accessible? You know, how, yeah. how are families going to access this? Um, because again, we're all still trying to survive in a world or in a system that thrives on capitalism on money. And so I realized that there are many ways that I can do that. Mm-hmm. And instead of complaining about it or griping about it, you know, again, being solutions-based, creating safe spaces and communities where families can come in and be honest and we can work through it and find a solution Mm. together. So, yeah. And that, I think that's really important. Um, And we could probably end the conversation on this note of like, through these honest conversations and collaboration with families as educators, we are able to provide the access that they need almost always. I mean, there are times when we are a small program, we don't have all the support services, the wraparound services, but if if we're honest with each other about your needs, my needs, if I like, I, I can't be everything to everyone, but if you tell me what you need, I could probably find the right solutions to to get you to be able to join our community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Any closing thoughts, Latoya? I just, I don't know who will hear this, but I <laughs> hope if one educator who has that thought in their mind, you know, to blame the children or to blame the families, I hope if anything, they just kind of have a moment um, in these next few weeks to kind of reset um, and and really rethink that um, mm-hmm. and understand that, yes, we know you're under a lot of pressure. Yes, we know that it's so stressful, but love can cure a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It, it really can. And even when it's hard, even when it feels like it don't, if you can just see past the, this moment um, and just love them for who they are, then once you love them, you can value them because mm-hmm. we value the things that we love. And so once you can see that value and that worth, I promise it will all come to fruition. You just have to be patient. It's not a race. Yeah. It, it, it's not It's not a race. We're not racing to some sort of finish line. The, the goal should be at the end of the day to create healthy, functioning, loving, caring, thriving humans. Mm-hmm. And if you've been given the conditions as an educator where you, where it seems impossible, how are, how is that message getting back to the people that need to hear it? The administrators, the policymakers, do you have 27 kids in a room all at wildly different stages of reading with one adult human who's supposed to teach them all how to read? Like, is that the problem? Like really identify your needs as a teacher and an educator and help help meet them because it's not fair. Like you said, there's so much pressure on, on teachers. It's not fair to teachers to expect them to do everything and be everything. No. And and the idea of loving them is is so important. But when you have 30 kids or 20 kids even who are coming in with their life experiences and their behaviors and they're like, you do feel overrun sometimes. Absolutely. You feel run down. You feel beaten, beaten down. And it and feels they're, impossible. They're entire beings. They, they're not just there to be computers and learn information and like sit in their desk, put all the input in and then like, okay. And okay. And the ba- bottom line message, I think from both of us is if you're a teacher and you want to complain, don't do it online, find a private community, uh-huh. find a neighbor, find a journal. Like there is some like camaraderie inventing. I get that, but like, it is so inappropriate to, to just be throwing people under the bus like that on social media. We don't need any more of that negativity out there. Absolutely not. And then consider a career change if you can't get past it. Yes. (laughs) It's okay to leave. It's okay. You're right. It's so important to know but maybe if you've got a good pension, you don't feel like you can, but find another city job, be a bus driver. (laughs) Thank you, Latoya, for coming on. Is there anything you want to tell us about? Plug, share with us about your programs or your... Just feel free to follow me, check out us on the Attune community. I've been just doing some revamping on there. I'm trying, you know... But I will definitely share more of our journey. Um, and thank you for having me as always. It's yeah, much you're welcome. Latoya Nelson of Raising Resilience and the Attuned Community. 
Um, and if you have a problem or you want to add to anything we said, jump in, chat with us online. We're both on Instagram, <laughs> raising underscore underscore resilience out of line. No, living at living out of line is our podcast. Um, we would love to include you and have a bigger conversation about this. Um, we know that if you're listening to this, you have some feelings about it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for doing the work. Whoever you are out there listening to this, um, you are important. And like Latoya was saying, we got to love on the kids. We got to love on you too. So thank you. Thanks for listening and uh, hang in there. <laughs> I guess that's all. Yes. <laughs> that's your motivational message. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you are. Bye-bye. Bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.